Dear Clementine was recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past and present and to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in. Wherever you're listening, make sure you know whose land you're on. Hi, I'm Clementine Ford and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Dear Clementine. If you don't know me, I'm an award-winning author and resident internet mum. And this is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to, whether it's sex, relationships, family, or pretty much anything in between. This week, I put a call out on Instagram for some juicy problems to solve. And boy, did we get some. From climbing the career ladder to helping a friend deal with a difficult relationship and tackling sexist opinions, which of course I have no experience of. (laughs) You can send in your own questions too. And I'll tell you how at the end. But for now, I've got 20 minutes to give you some hard-hitting, life-changing advice, so let's get into it. Dear Clementine, do you have any advice for separating from controlling parents? You know, I was talking with a friend today about how there are certain things in our life that are harmful for us and that we know that we need to let go of, but we fear letting go of them because to some degree they also give us comfort. And, you know, that might be, you know, if you decide to go sober, your relationship with alcohol changes because you have decided that it is a positive step forward for you to stop drinking. And maybe the reasons people will make that decision are obviously going to be different from person to person. But ultimately, you're choosing to let go of something in your life that has provided at varying times a lot of distress, but also a lot of comfort. And there's fear in that because choosing to do that means that you have to figure out what your life looks like beyond that. And when you're talking about parents, you obviously have at least 15 to 20 years if you're an adult making that decision or someone who's coming into their adulthood. You have at least 15 to 20 years of really complicated feelings about what that all means. Very rarely in a relationship will someone be always controlling. There will be light and shade, which makes the controlling moments even more confusing because what you're asking yourself to do is bravely step outside of that and try and forge a life that you really have no blueprint for because everything around you has been controlled to a certain degree. Um, I mean, essentially, in controlling relationships like that, you're being gaslit every day because you're being told that your version of reality is not is not correct. So I feel like the first thing I would say to this person is, good on you for even realising that this is a situation that is not bringing you happiness and that is hampering your ability to move forward in a healthy way. The other thing I would say is that when it comes to controlling parents, you don't have to cut them out of your life completely. I mean, relationships are very complicated. And the same thing might apply to a toxic friend who you feel is, you know, mean to you sometimes. You can set boundaries with people that allow that relationship to move into a healthy space. And if they choose not to meet you at those boundaries, that's on them. It's really important when we think about addressing toxic aspects of relationships that we understand what a boundary looks like. Too often we are trained, particularly if we've been raised in controlling environments or if we are sort of on the back foot all the time and we have that rejection sensitivity and we have, we have an assumption that, that our needs are too much because we've been taught to believe our whole life that our needs are inconvenient. If we say, I don't like how you treat me and it makes me feel like this, we might be met with them once again gaslighting us and saying, well, you're being silly, you're being ridiculous, you're being too sensitive. And then, of course, we go away and we absorb all of that information again and we think, well, maybe maybe I am too sensitive. Maybe I am ridiculous. Maybe I've made this situation even worse and that's my fault. And it's all of that self-doubt and self-recrimination that keeps us in 
an environment that is obviously not working for us. So when we're thinking about boundaries, we need to distinguish between what is a boundary that works and what is a boundary that we set and what is a request that we ask them to please consider. And we want to throw away requests that we ask them to consider because that is not actually setting a boundary and that is giving them the power to be able to once again tell us that we're wrong and that our perception of reality is incorrect. So if you're trying to separate from controlling parents, where you might start is by saying, I have decided that going forward, this is what our relationship needs to look like. This is what I need in order for our relationship to be healthy. I will no longer tolerate you doing X, Y, and Z, whatever that might be. I will no longer tolerate you speaking negatively about my body. I will no longer tolerate you inserting your decision-making into my life. If you want to have a relationship with me, that is the, that, those are the terms that we're going to be operating on from now on. And if they respond with, uh, well, you're being ridiculous and silly, then you can say something like, you are free to think that, but what I'm telling you is that this is my boundary now and I'm no longer allowing you to say those things to me and continue to have a relationship with you on those terms. And so it's really up to you. That is the choice that you have. And there's something really freeing about that because once you frame the boundary as something that you you will not move on, you actually are liberated from any kind of backlash that they bring to you because that's their problem to deal with. It's no longer your problem. It's about you recognising that you have the right to set not just the boundaries but also the terms of engagement with the people with whom you invite into your life. Once we start to think about our relationships in those terms, it actually gives us a lot of power and a sense of relief and a sense of release as well. Because anything that comes after that is really their choice. It's up to them and, it, and it's not your burden to bear. It's also about reframing that thinking between I have to do something and I choose to do something. When you recognise that what you are doing is setting boundaries in terms of choice, this is how you choose to live your life, that also gives you a lot of agency and a lot of control. And it it helps in dealing with what may be an inevitable fracturing of a relationship. Because if someone is controlling in your life, whether or not they're your parents and whether or not they're your friend, whoever it might be, they're not going to want to relinquish that control all too easily. But when you understand that this is a choice that you're making to make your life better, again, it really becomes their problem. And the noise just is turned down from that point. Dear Clementine, am I the only one who doesn't want to climb the career ladder? I want to climb down. You know what? I feel like that is a very common line of thinking right now. And it's not just because we live in a capitalist hellscape that makes everyone feel like they have to be constantly producing and constantly elevating and also constantly in competition with everyone else, including their peers and friends. But guys, we've just gotten through a pretty big pandemic where everyone was forced to to work in their homes, to confront the realities of their hellish daily existence, to really assess the things in their lives that make them happy. And it turns out, spoiler, that working yourself relentlessly to the bone is actually not very happy making. I think it's really relatable for a lot of people, particularly if you are in your 20s. I mean, I remember that feeling so well. I'm 40 years old now. I feel like I've kind of reached a career equilibrium where I feel pretty satisfied with what I'm doing. And hey, look, I'm making a podcast for Nova now, so I absolutely have no complaints. But I do remember when I was in my 20s feeling 
a, a state of almost constant anxiety about what was meant to come next. Where was I going? And, you know, at that point I was writing as a freelancer, but also I was waitressing. I was doing pretty much any temping job I could get. I had no stability in my life. I really saw the next 40 years of my life as being nothing more than terrifying because I had no idea what it was going to look like. And I was surrounded by messages that have gotten even worse now. So it's even worse for all of you in your 20s. I have so much sympathy. But I was surrounded by all these messages about what a successful life looked like. A successful life looked like having a partner, preferably children at some point, a house that you would buy, a job that you had job satisfaction in and that you could climb the career ladder. And of course, then we also have to add in this sort of toxic idea of girl boss feminism and very individualistic liberal feminism that really was pumping very hard at the end of the 2010s about success coming at the expense of all others. And I feel like we have a kind of cultural hangover of that now where it's so brave of this person to admit, I don't want to climb the career ladder. I actually want to climb down because that is what happiness can look like as well. Happiness can be rest. Happiness can be having a life where you don't have the most money. You don't have the best house in the block. You don't have a job that you bring home with you every day and that sends you into an early grave because you're constantly stressed about it. The problem is, how do you make that life work for you? Because we also have the reality of paying bills and we have the legacy of a boomer generation that benefited from every aspect of capitalism and then left us to pick up the bill. So I think that it makes a lot of sense for anyone out there to be like, I do not want to be in the rat race. I don't want to be on the career treadmill. I want to actually have a life that makes me happy. The question is, what does that life look like for you? And what are the steps that you can take to try and make that happen? One of the first things that you can do is to let go of the cultural imperative and the stress of keeping up with your peers and the need to kind of qualify the quality of your life by having a job that you boast about to people or that you you feel like makes you look good on paper because actually it's incredibly stressful to live those lives. There's, you know, lawyers aren't happy people. They might have happiness in their life, but no one is happy working 80-hour weeks there's a classic meme that describes perfectly this cynical framework that we're in, we're in right now, which is adulthood is basically just saying over and over, well, and of course, after this week, things will calm down a bit. And you repeat that until you die. And look, that's a morbid joke, but it's also true that what is the point and purpose of a life and how can it be well lived if all we are thinking about is an unreachable time in the future where things will calm down and we can actually breathe deeply. It is 100% possible to derive life satisfaction and happiness and productivity and a sense of worth and value outside of work. In fact, for most people, that is probably where they do find their sense of worth and value. And it is in work, making money for other people, that they find a lot of their sense of self-doubt and a lot of their sense of meaninglessness and fear about what the future looks like. You are allowed to make your life look like however you want it to look. And it is okay for everyone out there, particularly at this point of time that we're in now where the planet is literally dying and burning, it is okay for you to be like, you know what? I don't want the purpose and goal of my life's happiness to be making money for billionaires. Dear Clementine, 
My female friend prefers male executives because they are, quote, easier to work with. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, my thoughts are that that is a whole messy bag of internalised misogyny. There is an assumption that men are easier to work with and it, and it really draws on very sexist and deeply rooted ideas of what women in the career space look like and that is that women are their own worst enemies. Oh, women are terrible to work with. Oh, they're just so jealous and controlling and demanding. And look, that can absolutely be true of individual women. Part of that is because we're still operating under the understanding of the scarcity principle. The scarcity principle is that if you are a part of a marginalised group, for example, uh, where you where you have less power than the dominant group in any kind of situation, that the power you seek ends up being laterally expressed. So there's a scarce number of roles for women in leadership uh, in the world. Generally speaking, we know that to be true. And rather than tackle the much bigger and more pressing problem of dismantling patriarchy and redistributing power to everyone, not just to women, but also to other marginalised groups of people, rather than attacking that very intimidating problem, instead we just fight with each other. And so we're like, well, there's a scarce number of roles, so therefore I have to fight with this woman to get them. Then people establish this understanding that somehow women are difficult to work with because we're all just so like enmeshed in our own cat fights all the time and we hate each other and we don't support each other and blah, 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 blah. Again, that might be true of some women. It has not really, to be honest, been true of most of my dealings with women in the workplace because I try and work really hard at forging positive solidarity with other women because I know that ultimately we are both fighting the same enemy. And that enemy is not individual men. That enemy is a system of patriarchy that privileges men as a class of people and that keeps us in our place by making us distracted with these problems of like, well, women are, women are harder to work with. It's not that male executives are easier to work with. It's that men who ascend to those roles, which is still a minority of men in the world, but men who ascend to those roles have the luxury of not engaging in those kinds of lateral acts of violence because they just have the power that they meet down from the top. I would wager as well that your friend has learned throughout the course of her life exactly how to behave around those men, exactly how to play in the pool of patriarchy to make it seem like she's not being harmed completely by it. And we see that a lot in the way that women with internalised misogyny, and this is not an attack on those women, it's a cultural thing. It's very hard to break free of, particularly if you are not adept at seeing how it works. But we see that in how women appeal to male power and appeal to male validation in order to slightly smooth their path through patriarchy. And to some extent, I understand that because we are all making our way through a system that is inherently toxic to us. Even men, even men are harmed by patriarchy, even as they benefit from it. Uh, So I can understand why people would be resistant to questioning because once you start questioning these things, it's very difficult to come back. The moment that you begin to see how patriarchy works, you cannot put the blinds down and unsee it anymore. It's just there and that's just a fact. The thing is, though, recognising it becomes one of your biggest superpowers because the more you recognise it, the less willing you are to allow it to trick you into thinking that it's for your benefit. Your friend says that male executives are easier to work with but really what she means is they might be easier to work for. 
Do you want to spend the rest of your life working for patriarchy or do you want to be a part of changing the way that the workplace and those structures can look like for women and other marginalised people so that we aren't just scrabbling around for some little semblance of power within it while the power at the top remains completely unchanged? Do you want to be a renegade in your workplace and in your life or do you want to be someone who follows along because it's easier? I mean, there's a running theme between all of these questions, and that is a fear of letting go of something. There's a fear of letting go of a controlling relationship because of what that might look like for your life. There's a fear of letting go of the imperative to be on the career ladder and making your life look as ambitious as everyone else's. And there's a fear of letting go of the understanding you have of what it means to be a woman in the world dealing with powerful structures. But what I can tell you is absolutely true is that once you pass through that veil of fear, once you tackle that fear and once you find the courage to really let it go, your life becomes infinitely better. And in this particular circumstance, one of the best things you can do as a woman in the world is begin to forge really strong, solid relationships with other women because you, as I said, are all fighting the same thing. They are the only people who know exactly what it feels like to be a woman in a world of men. And you will never have to justify or qualify yourself to supportive women because they know. You will never have to prove your existence to them. You will never have to convince them of the reality of your life to them if they are supportive. Obviously, there are women who will still gaslight you because they haven't learned to let go of what that means yet. But once you have that core group of women, whether or not it's in your friends, whether or not it's in the workplace, whatever it is, you are emboldened and empowered by them because you know that there are people out there who see the world the way you do and who have your back and who will be there for you when you need them. And that is worth so much more, infinitely more, than any of the tiny little crumbs of validation and approval that you might get from the men who want to reward you for playing the game the way that benefits them. If you've got a question for Dear Clementine, you can hop onto Instagram and send me a DM or reply to my stories. There will be a weekly box there that I provide for you to send in a question or you can email us on dearclementine at novapodcasts.com.au. We're here for anything, honestly. It's all anonymous, shame-free. I've seen it all, friends. Hey, if you love what you heard today, subscribe to Dear Clementine so you never miss an episode. And, you know, feel free to give us a five-star rating on your favourite podcast app. I'll be back next week with a whole new swag of questions. Until then, I hope this episode has found you well. Sincerely yours, Clementine.